Times Like Now is an interview program. Interviews with interesting people who are doing cool stuff in their communities. Past episodes can be found wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Trevor Collins, and on this episode, I'm talking with Mark Powers, professional drummer, teacher, actor, and now a podcaster. We talk about COVID hobbies, his latest drumming projects, and his new podcast on this episode of Times Like Now. Thank you, Mark Powers, for joining me here today on the show. And how are you? Doing fantastic here in Portland. Yeah, it's good to to catch up with you. It's been a long time since we've spoken at all. I think the last time I spoke with you was maybe at Music Millennium or possibly a floater show. I'm, I'm not sure, but thank you once again. Um, how has things been for you during COVID times? I mean, everybody picked up a new hobby. What have you been doing? You have so many talents that you do. What have you been doing? You know, that's interesting because, yeah, I think it really was a good time to either pick up a new hobby or at least learn something new because so many of us, especially in the creative world, weren't able to do the things that we normally do, whether that's for work or even for for pleasure at times. So being a musician, suddenly no recording sessions, no live shows, no lessons for a bit. Everything that I normally do kind of came crashing down. And for me, the thing that I took on wasn't necessarily a completely new hobby. It was really diving into building a studio, which is something that is certainly a luxury for a drummer to have a home studio so that I could not only get into teaching lessons online, but also start doing remote recordings and things along those lines and really get back to doing some of the things that I did do, you know, with the exception of the live shows, obviously. And that in and of itself was just a huge learning curve, just learning how to run Pro Tools. I've been on hundreds of sessions that were Pro Tools based, but you would normally never do anything more than touch the space bar to start and stop a playback on somebody else's session. So it was something I didn't know anything about. So learning all about the uh, digital audio workstation world and getting all of the audio gear and new drum gear and things to set up the studio and soundproofing the space, that was really something that comprised a huge chunk of this last year for me. Right. Now, Powers Percussion, that is your your instructions, your drumming classes, correct? Exactly. Now, how long have you been doing that? And uh, yeah, are you doing that out of your uh, studio again now? Are you back doing classes now or are you holding off still? Yeah, I I have been teaching lessons in different capacities for years and years and years, um, probably since 1999 or 2000, somewhere around there, I started teaching private lessons. And for many years, that was really my main bread and butter. I was teaching 50 to 65 private students a week, either at a private studio or at a music store in whatever town I happened to live at, at the time. And I was teaching some lessons at a music store, Willamette Valley Music Company down in Salem up until everything shut down last year. So that is something that I got back into when I got the facility set up to at, at home at the studio. So I am teaching private lessons and I'm also 
thanks to uh, the internet uh, online kind of virtual lesson thing happening. Um, I'm also teaching a weekly masterclass. So one lesson per week that's group, people can pop in webinar style. And once a month, I have some sort of special guest that pops in and either teaches the lesson or does a cool Q&A. Cool. What is your background, Mark? Where did you, where were you born and raised? Where did you come from? I was born in Terre Haute, Indiana, a place that I don't remember much about because I left when I was very young, but lived uh, most of my growing up years in various spots of Wisconsin and Minnesota. And eventually in 06, moved myself out this way to Oregon. Okay. Did you move into Portland or were you somewhere else? You know, I actually was initially in Salem because when I came out kind of doing some recon, trying to find lessons, I went up and down the coast, passing out business cards, chatting with people at music stores and what um, used to be Weathers Music down in Salem that existed up until a few years ago ended up being the one place that called me up and invited me to do a little Skype interview of sorts and offered me a handful of students when a teacher was moving. And it was just enough to uh, get me to um, move out this way and kind of give things a shot. So I was in Salem for quite a while, for about six years, and then eventually went MIA and I was off in the South Pacific playing cruise ship gigs and up in Seattle for a while and back to the Midwest. And in 2015, came back to the state and uh, definitely feel that it is home for me now. Yeah, it's a, a, a wonderful place. And you've done a lot of drumming with some some bigger names. You've been a professional drummer. What drew you into drumming? At what time did you like say this is your career? When When did you start getting the bigger gigs? I mean, you've played with Rick Nelson from Cheap Trick and you've recorded with with M Ward and, and others. How did your drumming passion start? Where did that come from? You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, it all started in fifth grade when I was 10 years old, I did the little music petting zoo, music instrument petting zoo, where you get to go to the school cafeteria one day and try out a bunch of instruments, kind of check them out. And for me, I don't remember why, but for me, it was a toss up between drums and trumpet. And Interestingly enough, kind of opposite what most people would think, at that point in time, drums in comparison to trumpet were both the quietest and least expensive. Least expensive because you're spending $25 getting a practice pad and a pair of sticks and not investing several hundred dollars in a horn and also quieter for that exact same reason. You're not getting a snare drum necessarily. You're not getting a drum set. So tapping away on a pad for a little while, you know, rather than bladdying away, uh, you know, horribly on a horn until you develop technique. And I believe it was my mother that actually pushed me towards drums rather than trumpet because of both of those reasons. And she knew that this whole music thing was going to be a pretty quickly passing fad, just like everything else in my youth. Um, <laughs> and now years later, I kind of wonder if uh, that initial horn investment might've been the, uh, the cheaper route to go in the long run, knowing how much drum gear I've invested in over the years. Right. Um, so you probably went on through high school drumming and maybe played some, and playing in some rock bands in high school. 
Yeah, I definitely had a uh, little garage band that I rocked out with and sounded horrible in, I'm sure. Um, and I, I got out of high school a couple years early and I started college at a vocational music school in Minneapolis, which at the time was called Music Tech. It then became accredited and became the McNally Smith College of Music in St. Paul, Minnesota. And that was really where things got a little bit more serious for me, both in the instruction that I got. I actually had guidance and just some amazing teachers and mentors, several of them who are still just great friends and collaborators to the day to this day. Um, but also it just started becoming something that I wasn't doing for fun, obviously still fun, but I started realizing I could perhaps make an income with. Um, and some of that also was me getting to a point where I realized that that's what my older brother had been doing. Uh, he had always played piano and organ and sang or, um, given lessons on vocals and piano and things uh, for as long as I can remember. But as I got a little bit older, I realized, oh, that's actually what he does. Like he doesn't do some other job and then do that on the side, which, um, you know, some people certainly do with music and there's nothing wrong with that. But I suddenly got to this point where I realized, oh, my brother Mike just makes music and teaches people how to play music. And maybe I could do that. Cool. So what was your first maybe big break into rock and roll, either live or in recording? Um, I guess, what was your, your, did you have a band that went on tour with somebody or, or how did you break into the big leagues or the bigger leagues, I guess? Man, I still feel like I'm trying to break into the big leagues here, but um, if that's even really the goal, I guess, but um uh, no, that's a good question. I think that uh, things happen so organically. It's certainly difficult to put your finger on some one thing that happened or an opportunity that you got. I, I always feel that opportunities multiply as they are seized, you know, from Sun Tzu's Art of War. Um, so I've just said yes to lots of things. And many times something has led to an un expected opportunity. But when I was still in good old Oshkosh, Wisconsin, before moving out here, I was playing with a band called Corey Chisel and the Wandering Sons. And it was a really great, bluesy, dark, moody group. I always des described it as like a male-fronted Nora Jones. And um, really cool band, really started making me look at making music in a different way playing more texturally and thinking about a mood being created. And we had the opportunity of being managed by Rick Nielsen, uh, the lead guitar player from Cheap Trick, and spent a lot of time down in Rockford, Rockford Illinois at you know his place and one of his sons, Miles's uh, recording studios, and got to go to some shows with uh, Cheap Trick and such and have him join us on stage. And that band was, I would say, although it, it didn't really end up turning to, into anything in the long run, it was really a great opportunity to work with some really serious musicians and start taking what I was doing more seriously. And it's also what led me out here because one of the many quirks of that band was that we several times traveled when we could by train rather than fly or bus. 
and we had rode the two and a half day Empire Builder, the historic train from Union Station in Portland to Union Station, in, or sorry, Union Station in Chicago to Union Station in Portland to come out here and play some shows. And I remember riding the train on my way back thinking, this band is really cool and getting ready to go on a stretch of late night shows and things like that. But I got to move out to Portland. That's just a place that felt more like home to me than where I'd grown up. So I didn't quite end up in Portland immediately. Like I said, first came to Salem, but I got to the state and um, eventually made it here to Portland. Remind me, what year was that approximately? 2006 was when I moved out here. So it was probably 04 or 05 when I came out for the first time. Okay. Um, So a little introduction to how I first was introduced to seeing you play live was with Robert Winia and his solo project Uh, and the sound, Robert Winia and the sound. And when did that happen and how did that happen? Was that through... Was that through Daniel Riddle and maybe King Black Acid? Yes, that is awesome that you already know that connection because um, not many people do. And sometimes it's tricky for me to remember that. Sometimes you trace a gig back and you try to think, how was it that I met this person and then met this person? But yes, that is exactly the case. Um, Daniel... I had worked with a handful of times uh, at his Mazinga studios, just laying down some tracks either for some King Black Acid projects or other artists that he has had in the studios over the years. And uh, Rob's Brave the Strange album just happened to be one of those projects that Daniel recommended me for. So he introduced Rob and I, and I learned a few songs and got together. I think I played everything but two songs on Brave the Strange. He had two songs that were already recorded. And um, that was kind of how it started. We recorded, I can't exactly even remember what year that was, Um, but we did that. And then I don't think I heard from him again for six or nine months, but he got to a point where the album was coming out and he wanted to tour it. So he was putting a band together. And since I had been involved with a fair amount of it, he tossed the opportunity my way first. And it was such an awesome project to work on in the first place. I definitely jumped at the opportunity and uh, yeah, that's kind of how all of our crazy collaborations over the last several years kind of got kicked off. Right. And I really enjoyed that, that solo album. It was such a, a change for Rob from the floater material to see this other side come out with a great band, an incredible uh, Portland band of musicians. Um, how did the introduction to Floater come along? Now, a, a band been together in Portland and your, Eugene and what twenty plus years, the three, you know, the the power trio, and now there's a spot behind the drum set for a new guy. If you don't mind, how did you get into Floater? I think it's just simply because I was already in the family. You know, I was there in the scene working with Rob and we already had, you know, a rapport and worked well together. I think that Rob and I really tend to feed off of each other and 
we each create in our own ways, but in complementary ways. And I think we've just really worked together well from the beginning. And honestly, it was fortune on my part that I just happened to be there again because of Daniel Riddle and getting involved with Brave the Strange. And so I played a few floater songs with the sound on different shows, obviously tamed down a little bit, not quite floater style and not playing the same sort of gear. But when the opportunity popped up, I think that I was just there and somebody that everybody felt comfortable with. Uh, I hope, I think that's the case. Um, And uh, again, I jumped at the opportunity because how cool to not only, not only attack a project that is very, very different. One of my favorite things about music is, you know, making crazy right turns and going off in a direction that you never have before or that you haven't in a while or just opposite what you're doing in the moment. So that is always enticing to me. Uh, But also play with a band that just has such a deep catalog. As fans that come out to the shows know, I have barely scratched the surface of this catalog. I mean, there's just so much great material. And not only is there such great material, but the drumming that has, you know, existed on all this stuff it's fantastic. I mean, I, I came into this and the more and more I dove into, you know, having to learn parts, I mean, the bigger a Pete Cornette fan I became, you know, uh, because he's an absolutely incredible drummer. So to get to play these songs with the band is an absolute treat, but it's also a ridiculous challenge. And I am not going to kid anybody and saying that, say that I'm doing any parts or songs justice. I'm, you know, certainly cherry picking what things I choose to keep from a a drum arrangement and what things I tend uh, I choose to change. And that's always the case. Anytime there's someone else playing a part and I I have to just feel uh, confident that I'm bringing what I can to the table and it's never going to be exactly the same, but being a part of the machine that is floater is it's freaking awesome, man. It's cool. I bet. I bet it is. And, and I can see it as a, a great challenge. And, uh, and I, I think the fans have really taken to you quite well uh, from what the, the shows that I've been to and the shows that I've seen. Uh, it must be incredible to have that kind of, I will say rabid fan base, you know, you're in, now you're in a band that's one of the most known in the entire West Coast, at least in, to a lot of people, w- with such an incredible fan base. Uh, have the fans been good to you? Oh, man. Uh, people have been amazing. And um, I could not fault many if they weren't, because it's a tough thing to see, you know, a band that you're a huge fan of change any member that you've gotten really comfortable with even more. So I think with a lot of floater fans who've grown up with the band and gotten a lot of FaceTime with the members of the band and gotten to hang out over the years, that's, it's really tough to see anything like that change. But, um, I really felt very quickly that there were people that, you know, were on my team and in my corner And I obviously can't appreciate that enough because it's terrifying to go out in front of a huge crowd at a show like that and think that a huge group of the, you know, a large number of the group out there might not want you on stage doing the thing there. But, uh, you know, you come out and 
what you get at a show, what you get at a merch table, um, ends up just telling me that, uh, that it's okay. That, that people, you know, I think more than anything, even if they sometimes wish that, um, there hadn't been a lineup change. I think a lot of people love that they can still see their favorite band play their favorite songs live. And that, that means a lot. And I do not take lightly the fact that I get to be a part of helping continue that. I think it's just, you know, an honor to be a part of it. Yeah. I, I'm, I feel that amongst the people that I spoke to and speak to, I've been a fan of the band and seen, honestly, I'm probably a 60 shows, maybe even a four, a few more in my whole life of uh, being a floater fan. And yeah, glad, to, glad to have you behind the drums. It's, uh, it's, it's been great to see the changes and see what you've done with, with the sound. Um, speaking of, you have some shows coming up or at least one show coming up with floater here very soon. We have two shows coming up. Yeah, two we shows. are playing uh, August, Friday the 13th. August the 13th uh, is coming up in Redmond. We are playing with Everclear. That is going to be fantastic. But then we are playing a show at the Wonder Ballroom here in Portland on September 25th, which is an all-ages show. And it will be really awesome to be rocking out in town again. It has been a long time since we've gotten to do what we love to do. So we're looking forward to it. Yeah, I bet uh, I bet you're you're missing that, and it's going to be great. I'm going to try and make it to that uh, Wonder Ballroom show if I can uh, if I can get away. So you and Rob also have a collaboration now on a podcast. Tell me a little bit about that. Igniter just got launched, and we have a teaser and our first what I call duo episode out that are just Rob and I, um, and. Rob hit me up with this idea a while ago, really because both of us are always trying to look at how to get around the blocks that all of us creatives have. And he really wanted to, in the midst of all the pandemic chaos here, start creating something that was more positive and, as he would say, additive and bring something good to the world. And I think it's good for us. I think it's good for other people, not only the listeners, but also just guests to kind of get to chat about some of these topics. And yeah, it is really all about sparking creativity. We're chatting about techniques you use and struggles that we all have. And we are super excited that the podcast idea is something that we have bounced around many, many times as we've tooled around in a van together and we're, we're finally making something happen. So re- remind me, what is the name? Igniter. And how often is that going to be? Will you be doing that just as you can? I mean, I, I can imagine it, that you could be busy, but you could also record those episodes in the back of a van. So, Right. We are, we are definitely trying to batch record some things so that we have a little buffer. And um, I'm not going to say what we're going to commit to as far as releases just yet, because we're still ironing some of that, that out, but we will be making sure to at least be throwing a couple out every month. I'm sure people can find that wherever you can find podcasts, right? 
Absolutely. Hmm. You've done some acting in the past as well. You and I have talked about uh, you on the movie screen. Have you done any, well, I'm, I guess probably not for a while, but before COVID, had you been doing any, any uh, either stage or in front of the camera? I had been, and that is another thing that certainly got the kibosh put on it at the beginning of the pandemic, because there were a few things that I was looking forward to getting on set for. And uh, hopefully some of those things will still be uh, kind of pulled back out of um, the back drawer as things kind of get a little more normal. If that happens coming up here, we'll see. Um, But yeah, I was working on or have worked on a number of just indie films in the area, as well as a couple of small ads and a few voiceover projects as well. So lot of little indie projects, but that is something that I had wanted to explore for a long time. And I believe maybe I didn't just because I thought that you had to have a long background in that. You know, I wasn't in theater in school, you know, I did a play or something. And um, so it just seemed like the sort of thing that maybe I couldn't get into until I just started rolling with a little bit of uh, an acting crew, you know, realized that I already had several friends in the music community that were involved in it. And one thing led to another and started getting a little private instruction and then throwing myself out there with some submissions. And it is a ton of fun. It's actually, as far as non-music things go, it is one of my absolute favorite things to do. Yeah. I've done some video production behind the camera and behind the uh, audio you know, recording um, film and video production. And it is a lot of fun. Real quickly, before we sign off, uh, have you been doing any recording music, new music coming out, either floater material or maybe Rob uh, solo material? Anything that you can share? You know, we have bounced a lot of ideas around and now that I have the home studio as well, it's even easier for Rob and I to kind of share tracks back and forth. So there have been lots of little things that are continuously kind of bounced around, but I wouldn't say anything concrete that's happening just yet project wise. Uh, Aside from that, I am constantly recording in the studio. That's something I'm doing weekly here and I'm working on projects um, that are tracks leading to albums coming out with the band Umbrascatu, an Italian indie rock band in town, and Caitlin Convery, a singer in town. Um, trying to think who else. I've been sending tracks to Scotland and San Francisco and all over the place. So definitely will be more things coming out. Uh, and, you know, Floater and Rob winning the sound, it'll totally happen. So keep your eyes peeled for yeah. that. Mark Powers, uh, you are a busy fellow. Uh, Real quickly, where could people find your website if they wanted to maybe take some drum lessons or no more? Definitely go to powerspercussion.com. And there's info about the masterclasses and obviously my discography if you want to dig into other albums I've recorded on. And you can contact me through there. But then on the socials on Twitter and Instagram, I am just at Mark Powers. So drop a line, say hey. Thank you once again, Mark Powers. I really do appreciate having a little chat with you. Trevor, I can't thank you enough for uh, inviting me on here. This is awesome. Have a great weekend and a good night. Past episodes of the program can be found wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for original music. I can be reached, Trevor, at timeslikenow.com. Thank you for tuning in to the program. I look forward to speaking with you next time.